This is Legislative Review on Prairie Public. I'm Dave Thompson. Thanks for joining us. Our guest on the program is Republican Senator Sean Cleary of Bismarck, who is a first-term senator. Senator, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So you just got elected in November, and you're serving your first term in the North Dakota legislature. How's the, how's the session been so far? I've really been enjoying it. It's been flying by, but really grateful for the chance to do the work. And my colleagues have been really great about helping me learn the process and learn how the committee work works and how the floor process goes, and it's been going well. Did anything surprise you about the Senate so far? I'd have to say the most surprising thing has been the pace of it. You know, we get right to work. We only have 80 days to get through almost 1,000 bills, and there's plenty of work to do. You've already made kind of a mark by some of the bills that you've introduced. Uh, one I wanted to get to is the retirement plan because that could be a huge issue coming up to the session. You had the House Majority Leader who has proposed a defined contribution plan, but you're talking about a defined benefit plan, keeping that, but making a choice, giving state employees a choice. Tell me why you did that. So there's broad agreement that our defined benefit plan needs help with the funding. We have about an $1.8 billion, $1 billion funding shortfall, and my bill seeks to address that in a sustainable way and keep the plan open for state workers. It's a valued benefit. We know that folks have chosen it over time, and from the feedback we get from state employees, they really do find value in the plan, but my bill sustainably funds it over a 30-year time frame. But then, to your point, also gives state employees the option to choose a defined contribution plan Typically, the defined benefits viewed as a better plan, but there are some folks who the flexibility of a defined contribution plan might work a little better for them. Have you gotten pushback for it, or what, what's been your colleagues' reaction? I've been having a lot of good conversations with my colleagues, You know, some of whom agree with what we're trying to do with the bill and others who view it a little bit differently, but I do think there is agreement that we need to address the funding shortfall and I'm just trying to do that in a way that's most fiscally responsible with taxpayer dollars and, and continues to provide a competitive choice of benefits for state employees. So do you think you're going to be invited to the conference committee on it? <laughs> I would hope so, but uh, I guess we'll see here in a few weeks. Well, it seems like leadership would be, this is one of the leadership bills, kind of like the OMB bill, that could be the end of the session bills. Yeah, historically I think the um, retirement bills go pretty close to the end. You know, it's it's one of the reasons why it's important. It's a lot of dollars and it's over a long period of time, so it's an important thing to get right. So your your argument is that state employees like it and that prospective state employees might might be attracted to state government because of it. Yeah, you know, it's a it's a recruitment and a retention tool that the state has. Typically public sector employees just don't make as much as their private sector counterparts in salary and so this retirement benefit is something that we do use to, you know, get folks to work there, but maybe even more importantly, get them to stay. You know, folks are working there and they realize that they're building a pretty good retirement plan. And, um, you know, we've received a lot of good feedback on it from state employees, and it's something I would like to see as an option for them to continue to go forward. Well, that's one of the big issues in the session. Another one is discussion on is it going to be property tax relief? Is it going to be income tax relief? Is it going to be some kind of combination of both? So I'd like to ask you where you come down on that. I'd like to see a combination of both of them. You know, uh, property tax is definitely top of mind for voters, but not everyone's a property owner. And so I think with some of these income tax uh, plans that we'd be able to make that tax relief a little bit more broad-based so that everyone can benefit from it. We're fortunate to be in a really strong 
positioned financially. We just got those updated revenue forecasts this week, and those were pretty close to what we were expecting. So I think we're in a good spot to provide pretty significant tax relief. Uh, do you like the plan that was uh, floated, I think, by Senator Shibley to put more money into K-12 education as a way to buy down property taxes? Yeah, I voted in support of Senator Shibley's bill, and I, I think I'd like to see that uh, in some form, regardless of what sort of compromise we come to on the agreement. But I do think he provided a good way to get money out to communities and in a way that avoids some of the concerns we have about political subdivisions just raising it back up because that amount is fixed in law. So I think Senator Shibley's bill addresses that concern pretty well. And just not to put too fine a point on that, he wants to go down to 30 mills as, as the uh, local property share instead of 60. Right now it's at 40 as a placeholder. So we'll, we'll watch that one too. Yeah, I think that was viewed as a little bit of a compromise as we move forward in session and It'll be one that goes to, I think, one of the last couple weeks. Since you represent Bismarck, you probably have a lot of state employees in your district. And one of the things that's also at play is raises for state workers. Right now it's at four and four, four percent for each year of the next biennium. And there's some thought that they might be able to go to six and four. So your thoughts? You know, I would like to see us get to that six and four number. I do think we're going to have the revenue to do it. And you are right, I do have a lot of state employees in my district, but ultimately I do just think it's the right thing to do for the state. Um, you know, in our body we have a lot of differences on how folks view government and the role of government, but I do think having a, a well-functioning state workforce that we're able to execute on the laws the legislature passes well and have talented people working for the state is really important. And I think compensation, especially in a really high in inflationary environment, uh, that six and four would would help would go a long ways in that regard. There's been a lot of talk this session about attracting workers to North Dakota, attracting workers to jobs not only in state government but in private industry as well. And some of the things they're talking about is child care efforts and you know trying to recruit. So child care is still a big big issue at play, isn't it? Yes, uh, you're you're definitely right. In our our caucus, um, our whole chamber has really been taking a deep dive on the different options we have in front of us for the child care proposals, and it's a multifaceted approach. We have things that help providers. We have things that go directly to families. And I think, to your point on the workforce issue, for a lot of families, working in middle-class families, the math just doesn't make sense to have both parents working if you have to pay thousands of dollars a month in child care. So, I think we're going to be able to pass uh, a handful of proposals that will address that in various ways, and I think that'll go a long ways in, in helping more people stay in the workforce. So you're seeing more acceptance of the of finding ways to help out, uh, and I go back to some of the earlier legislative sessions. Child care was discussed, but there seemed to be some resistance to it. But I I see it, and maybe you see it the same way that resistance is starting to fade away. Yeah, you know, I do think there is a broader consensus that we need to do something. I think there is some hesitation and, 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 and warranted hesitation sometimes in that we want to make sure we're doing it the right way. Uh, you know, we're talking about close to $100 million, tens of millions of dollars, and to make sure we're actually getting that out in a way that is improving our workforce situation and providing relief to those families and 
and really helping the kids too. You know, it's it's sometimes it's funny with some of these conversations we we forget that ultimately it is for those uh, the children to have uh, you know quality daycare opportunities too. So that's a it's an important part of it for me. I guess maybe a little biased too. My wife and I we have a little fourteen month old at home, so uh, it's it's been enjoyable. I heard discussions on this and. Watford City seems to be one shining example where it seems to work. The Watford City mayor apparently says his city considers child care as infrastructure. So maybe that's that's where we're going. Yes, and I do think Watford City's been a good leader in showing how there can be different public-private partnerships. And, you know, to use my employer as an example, uh, the Medora Foundation, when I'm not working at the legislature, um, you know, the Medora Foundation, we actually opened up our own childcare facility in Medora for our, our, our colleagues and folks who work in other organizations in the area because at the end of the day, if you don't have access to that, you just can't go to work. And so um, I do think there's room for more public-private partnerships to help provide those services too. Now, I couldn't let you go with during this interview without asking you about the curling. <laughs> so tell us how that came about. Yeah, we, I sponsored, uh, along with some of my colleagues, a bill to make curling the state sport of North Dakota. And, you know, we deal with a lot of serious issues during the legislative session. And I viewed this as a, a lighthearted bill, you know, to make a unique winter sport, uh, the state sport of North Dakota. And it was brought to me by an 11-year-old in my district, a sixth grader at Horizon Middle, Middle, Middle School, who is a big curler and, and um, you know, sponsored it. She came in and testified. And and advocated on behalf of the bill and frankly I'm really proud of her too it's 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 a hard thing as an 11 year old to come testify and and talk to legislators and she did a great job and I am a curler myself too but something I grew up doing with my family and uh, it's been kind of a fun thing to work on. What's your favorite part of cur curling? It's a really social sport it's almost like bowling and and it's fun a lot of people do it for the first time because it is kind of a unique thing and we have the most curling clubs per capita in the country here in North Dakota, and we're actually home to the most famous curse in curling, too, when we lost the world championships to Canada one time, but that might be a story for another day. Okay, very <laughs> good. Well, I've, I've not curled, but I find it fascinating, you know, watching the Olympics mm -hmm. and watching Olympic curling, you know, putting the rock in the house and getting the stone down the, down the ice. It's, it's fun. Yeah, it's, it's a really enjoyable sport. So what else is on your plate in terms of bills that you have introduced or are watching very carefully? Well, in addition to the pension issue, that's probably been my number one um, focus this legislative session, but I've had a few other bills that have been moving through the legislative process that I've been proud to work with my colleagues on, and the first of that, those is related to helping family caregivers with people who uh, have children at home who are developmentally disabled or or otherwise medically fragile, there's a lot of complicated situations. And going back to workforce, um, a lot of these providers that we have for these Medicaid services, for these in-home services, they just don't have the staff in order to help serve these families and these children. And so we have, I have a bill that would help family caregivers receive a little bit of financial support for when they have to stay home to provide complex medical care for their children. And um, I think it would be a good bill to help address some of those workforce issues we're having and provide a little financial stability for those families and, uh, and help keep families together. You know, if, if folks can't juggle those responsibilities, that's where we end up in a situation where 
children have to go to an institution. And, and we have a lot of great organizations providing those services in North Dakota, but you know, I think a lot of families would prefer to stay, stay together, and so this bill helps to uh, address part of that. And where is the, what's the status of that bill right now? It passed unanimously through the Senate, uh, which I was really thankful for the support of my colleagues. I presented it to the House Committee on Human Services where it was uh, well received and now we're talking with the Appropriations Committee to try to make the dollars and cents work. I, I wanted to ask you something. You mentioned institutions. Maybe think about uh, the penitentiary system and, and that bill that's going through about building a new women's pen in, in Mandan. And there's been discussion on and off, I don't think it's going anywhere, about selling the uh, Missouri River Correctional Center south of Bismarck and selling that to either make it a day park or maybe sell it to developers. Have you looked at all of the corrections budgets? I've been aware of those conversations and it's actually something I worked on when I worked for Governor Burkham during the 2019 legislative session because um, to go, I guess, one step even further with the, with the women's facility in New England, I think there's a broad understanding that that facility needs to be upgraded. We need to provide better services for the women who are um, staying there. Uh, it's part of our criminal justice system, but they have a right to services and equal treatment under the law too. And so I think there is a need for investment uh, in, in the facility that provides those services. But with that comes the things you mentioned where we have a lot of moving pieces. We have the Missouri River Correctional Center. Um, they're talking about potentially building a new center in Mandan. And um, I think those conversations will, will lead the next couple weeks to iron out exactly how all those moving pieces fit together. One thing that I was a little surprised, there wasn't a firm proposal to redo the state hospital in Jamestown. And there's a, the governor put in his budget uh, some money for a, a continued study of that. Your take? Yeah, we, we passed a bill in the Human Services Committee in the first half of the legislative session to provide for the um, funding for that study and that architectural design of the new hospital. And that's also been something that's been considered multiple times over the last couple of years. But as the state moves kind of away from more institutionalization and more home and community-based services, I think there's an understanding that there is still a role for a state hospital, but what that looks like might be a little smaller, a little more targeted. And so I'm hopeful that if we move this study, we can, we can put together a good plan and then bring that back and, and upgrade that facility in a way that, that serves North Dakotans well too. To follow up, are you seeing more progress in getting you know, behavioral health services out for example, in western North Dakota where it's been a challenge, and the challenge again goes back to the issue of workforce. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, we've really been making a concerted effort to, to push those um, services out into communities, and I think part of where you're seeing it, and we have great work being done right here in Bismarck at the schools, you know, it's, you gotta meet people where they are, and there's students, a lot of whom really struggle with behavioral health issues, and so to be able to provide those services in schools, in prisons, in other places where we know people are going is an important part of that work. And on that topic, another bill, probably the, the next most important to me this session is related to North Dakota joining a counseling compact for folks providing counseling services. And um, I think that would help in part to both help us get more counselors into the state. There's less licensure barrier, but then also when we're talking about things related to telehealth, it makes it easier to do those things on an interstate basis. So 
that could help provide services, I think, in more rural areas, too. And what is the status of that bill? That passed the Senate um, nearly unanimously and has been, it passed the House, too, actually, but we got, we got a word wrong, so we need to fix that in conference committee before it goes to the governor's in desk. In one word, one was, word was wrong. It was a typo, so I know as a, as a journalist, you know, that's something you take seriously, too, but we're going we're gonna to get it right, and I'm, I'm optimistic the governor is going to be supportive of that as well. So how many states are in that compact? I think there's 19 right now, and it's still fairly new. North Dakota, as a workforce issue in general, has been looking at a lot of compacts like this. We also passed one this session related to psychologists, and really what it is about is, is mobility as we have people coming in and out to help them have more flexibility with their licensure and, and so they can do the work that they've been trained to do. And that's been an issue not only in, that, in this field, but other fields, medical fields, maybe even uh, legal fields, mm -hmm. to make sure that licensure things, there are reciprocal agreements among states. Yes, and that's, def that's also why these sorts of compacts get support from our military community. You know, we have pretty mobile populations in Grand Forks and Minot with the Air Force Base, and um, those, those folks and their spouses who come and go from North Dakota, uh, these compacts go a long way in helping them, again, do the work that they've been trained to do. Have you looked at the higher education budget? That's another one that I think is going to be like toward the end of session. Yeah, you know, I have looked at that. It started on the House side and is now being reviewed by the Senate side. And while I don't sit on the Appropriations Committee, um, you know, as we talk about workforce, in my opinion, higher education is one of the biggest levers we can pull as a state for workforce. So I'd like to see more of a focus on those training issues. We know a lot of students, especially who come to our um, our community colleges like BSC, I guess technically now a, a polytechnic uh, institution uh, providing a lot of different programming, but those folks who go to school there are really likely to stay in North Dakota. So uh, as we as we fine-tune that higher ed budget, I would like to see uh, a focus on workforce. And, you know, coming over from the House, um, there it's we have a lot of money in it right now too, and I'm sure you've seen the reports where we're pretty overspent as far as what it, what we're gonna ultimately going to have to get to on a budget. So I do think we're going to have to make sure we're being fiscally responsible with some of those big ticket items too. Yeah, I, was, I was talking recently with uh, the Senate Appropriations Committee chairman. He said, it's maybe a couple billion dollars, but you're talking about we had a pretty big budget uh, presented by the governor, and he thinks it's not going to be that much of a problem in cutting that down back to where the governor's level is. Yeah, I think we'll be able to get through it. You know, the first half of session is a little tricky because you're not sure what the other chamber is going to send over, and you want to make sure all the ideas that you like in our, that started in our chamber get to them. And so um, as they review what we sent them and, and we take a look at what they passed to us, I think we'll be able to make some some uh, cuts there and, and get to a right-sized budget. Yeah, this is not, this is not unusual. No. <laughs> uh, but... I know that, that the plan is to have a decent cushion for the next biennium. Yeah, and you know, in North Dakota, we're, we're fortunate um, in that we are in a, in a strong financial position, and we have things like the Legacy Fund that, you know, we receive earnings from that we can use to fund certain priorities, and, and we know that money's going to be there. So that's, a, that's an incredible tool for our state. There were a couple of constitutional issues that came up, and the, I think the House is to handle them right now. One is to maybe go an extra 20 days on the legislature and maybe 20 more 
going from 80 to 100 to 120 with the possibility of doing annual sessions. Mm -hmm. You have any thoughts on that? You know, the first half of the legislative session, the Senate, we passed a, a study resolution on the impact that term limits are going to have on the legislative body. And I do think that there is a good argument to be made about the legislature kind of ramping up its institutional capacity, whether that's being there more frequently or maybe staffing or different oversight roles, because uh, we're going to have a lot more people coming in and out. And so I would be supportive of things that help us uh, improve our, our capacity to do our jobs. You know, our constituents elected us to represent and advocate for them at the Capitol. And in order to do that, you know, we need to have the resources available to us to, to do our jobs well. And of course, the other one is Casper's resolutions, uh, Representative Casper's, that would basically say it's going to be 12 years instead of eight for legislators, and it would be 12 years for the elected members in the executive branch. What do you think about that proposal? I do think that 12 years would be a reasonable time frame for folks in the legislature. You know, not everyone's going to serve that amount of time, but eight years is a really short amount of time for a legislator to get up to speed and be able to navigate the process well. And so I think an, an extra term would be helpful in, in doing that. And, and ultimately, that resolution will also have to go to the voters. And so, you know, voters clearly decided that they wanted term limits this last election cycle. But um, if we do make this change to expand that by a single extra term, uh, that will also have to be approved by voters too. So they'll get a, they'll get a chance to review that as well. Yeah, and the current the current law as passed by voters, eight and out. Yeah, you have no you have no chance to come back in even if you wait a bit. The Casper resolution would say twelve, and you can either go to another another chamber or do something else. And as long as you're out for four years, you can go back for another twelve. Does that look like promising? Maybe to have some continuity? Yeah, you know the the idea of coming out and coming back in hasn't been something I've spent a ton of time thinking about, but ultimately I do think having a little extra time uh, for folks to learn the process and learn the issues will help legislators do their jobs better. And, you know, uh, when we look at how the legislature interacts with different advocacy groups and the executive branch, we want to make sure that as the policymaking branch of government that we're able to, to do our jobs well. And so I think Representative Casper's uh, uh, resolution would be a, a positive step in that direction. And uh, that's a possibility there might be a court challenge on that too. So You know, yeah, that's a good point. And there, there was a little bit of, I was pretty confused actually when the first term limits ballot measure passed last year because that contained a provision saying you can never alter this effectively. And I can't think of a lot of other examples of that. And so it'll be an interesting legal issue too as to whether that holds up or this new resolution is even possible to do with that provision. What was the hardest thing in becoming a state legislator? What, what did you find hard at the beginning of the year? You know, the, I wouldn't say it's been hard, but a challenge, you know, I'm a, I'm a working professional, uh, I have a young family, and so trying to make sure I'm doing all those things well. Uh, you know, I, I take it really seriously. It's been a really tremendous honor to be able to work in the Capitol and and get to work right away on a lot of these important issues, but uh, balancing that with with my professional responsibilities and and making sure I'm being a good dad and a good husband, that's 
it's been something that's been top of mind for me as we as we fly through session here. Well, I can't let you go because you said you work for the Medora Foundation. Mm -hmm. uh, the library is going to, it looks like it's going to become a reality. What is that going to mean for Medora? Yeah, the library, they've been moving right along and, and fundraising's been going well. You know, I'm sure you saw the gift from, from Harold Hamm at the beginning of session two, the Library Foundation, and I'm really excited about it. You know, on a personal and a professional level, it's it's going to give people a whole new reason to come to the Medora area and see not only the library, but the beauty of the National Park and all the other uh, activities and opportunities that we have in Western North Dakota. So uh, there will be growth and there'll be challenges with managing that too, as far as infrastructure and and housing and, and utilities and that sort of thing. But um, overall, it's going to be, I think, uh, an incredible opportunity for the state and for people to come visit here. And I bet you can't wait for the road to be rebuilt. Yes. In the loop road. Yeah. I, I grew up going out to Western North Dakota, the Medora area. And, and you know, as, as I go out there now for work or as, as a family, it's, uh, it'll be nice to see that complete because that national park, I think, is, is one of the best in the country. I'm going to throw a curveball at you, a short answer. Would you like to see the speed limits raised to 80 miles an hour? No. I, you know, I don't see the really need for that. 75, to me, is a, is a pretty reasonable speed limit. We have really low fines in this state for folks who, who do speed. And, and anecdotally, I think if you go a few miles per hour over 75, you usually don't have too hard a trouble. So, you know... I don't see the, the, the huge benefit of raising it to 80 uh, as we take a look at how we can minimize traffic fatalities and, and uh, all the other issues that, that coincide with that. <laughs> I, I haven't seen a compelling case to raise it uh, to 80 miles an hour. Well, I ask every, every guest this question. When is the, when is the adjournment date going to happen? Well, we have taken a few days off. So... I would guess May 2nd. May 2nd. Very good. Well, thank you for taking your time. Yeah, thank you, Dave. It's been great to be here. Our guest today is Senator Sean Cleary of Bismarck. He's a Republican first-term state senator. For Prairie Public, I'm Dave Thompson. Mm -hmm.